My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... The thing is, I want to learn. And as it turns out, I work with people who know a lot about classical music. Every week on this show, one of my coworkers will give me a homework assignment, a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I am Daisha Clay, and here with me in the studio today, my instructor is Joel Lukes, who uh, is on the editorial staff of Culture Map Houston. He's also a columnist for that website. Um, He is a classically trained flutist who uh, trained at the Eastman School and at the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University right here in H-Town. Joel, welcome to the program. Thanks, instructor. Wow. <laughs> That's right. I feel so official. <laughs> Hope you're okay with that. that <laughs> I, I have to be now, sure. <laughs> so um, you have prepared a very uh, well thought out lesson today. We're going to see the evolution of flute playing, but but through a particular lens. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I think every instrument has a stereotype, mm-hmm. you know, and every instrument player has a stereotype yeah. too. Like when we think of the harp, for example, you think angels. <laughs> right. It's true, right? Yeah. When you think of the trumpet, what do you think? You think um, bombast, you think like military Exactly, music. Yeah. regal yeah, or, or regal. military. Yeah, exactly, that kind of thing. I, yeah. I love regent yeah. regal. Mm-hmm. And when I say flute, what do you think? Uh, you think bird sounds, you think gentleness. You think um, you think that one uh, sample from that Beastie Boys song? I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> exactly, right? You know, the flute also has a reputation. There's this stereotype of just being a very gentle, very pretty instrument, yeah. and that's just one of its characters. It actually has a wide range of of, uh, colorful capacities. And you're going to show us these many colorful capacities? Sure, exactly. Now, it is, that reputation is deserved. Yeah. Because as being one of the oldest instruments, you know, if if you think how flutes started, they were made out of bones. They were made out of reeds. Really? Yeah. Uh, some some of the some of the instruments date back hundreds of thousands of years, and it's really you know a bone that's been hollowed that has, you know, little holes, and and that's how you play it. That's crazy. Like, yeah. what kind of bones did people like? Animal bones? animal bones. Okay, good. Not yeah. people bones. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if that's part of the history, but <laughs> because we've had that on this show, and oh, really? it was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully the flute has a, a much nicer history, let's okay. just say. Nothing cannibalistic. <laughs> right. um, but, of course, you know, we also think of ethnic instruments like the Indian flute or the shakuhachi, Japanese flute, Native American flute, that are they're very soulful and, and very beautiful in how they produce their sound. When we think of the modern flute or the flute that we see in the orchestra, the one that's played sideways. Yeah. Really, the history of that instrument starts kind of around the Renaissance through the Baroque. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name the name that we use is traverso, which is just kind of a fancy name for saying traverse flute. 
Um, and so that's is is that what you call the sideways flute, traverse flute? Yeah, it's it's really sort of the, the name um, of yesteryear and how differentiated different types of flutes. Okay, and now we just call it a Western flute or an orchestral style flute. Got it. But you know that's that's where its history um, uh, began. You know, it was made out of wood. It only had one key. So th- there wasn't a lot that you could do, and the type of wood that was used wasn't was very loud. Yeah, um, it had a lot of warmth and a lot mm-hmm. of colorful timbres. And when I say color, people, musicians talk a lot about color. Yeah, they do. And it's it's something that's confusing, I think. But the way I think of color is like shades of sound. Okay. It's not volume. It's yeah. how the sound, maybe it's a little cottony. Maybe it's like really laser. Uh, maybe it's a little smoky. Maybe it's a little bubbly. Oh, it, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have anything to do with the actual volume. It has to do more with the with the character. It's like, you know, you have different shades of red or you have different shades of pink. It's still pink. Mm-hmm. So the history starts with this this kind of pretty, pretty sound. And that's something that we, uh, that changed kind of in the in the mid-1800s. Uh, there's this German guy, Theobald Böhm. I love saying that. <laughs> Böhm. He was a silversmith, and he created this this new mechanism, this new way of constructing the flute that became a viral sensation mm-hmm. within a year. Like everybody needed to have this flute. This was yeah. the instrument. Yeah. It's kind of like you know when Twitter came out, everybody was going crazy and needed mm-hmm. to be on Twitter. Everybody needed to be back on this in the day. Flute. It was flutes back in the yeah. days. This is the flute that they wanted. So uh, 25 years later, Bizet writes Carmen. And that's when you start seeing the flute coming a little bit more out of the woodwork in terms of a solo instrument. And so we're going to start by listening to that stereotype of the pretty flute. Okay. Um, It's beautiful flute and harp music. You'll hear a lot of weddings. Actually, I had to play it in my sister's wedding, which I find kind of strange. Because if you think, do you know the story of Carmen? No, I don't. Well, she's kind of a temptress Uh that ends up... (laughs) Yeah, she's kind of a sexy little number mm-hmm. um, who plays with, you know, men's emotions. Mm-hmm. And because of that, she ends up dead. Oh. So yeah. it's one of those things that we play at weddings all the time. But then when I think about it, I'm thinking, is this really something that you want? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 the history of Carmen going on when you're, you know, trying to make this union with your loved one. I don't yeah. But I've had to do it, and I did it in my sister's wedding, and I told her the story after because mm-hmm. I didn't want to ruin the Yeah, you just hope that you have like a hundred of me in the audience not knowing what the hell you're playing. Exactly. So, yeah. It's sort of funny to think, oh, yeah, I'm playing the music that represents a whore who it's, you know, ends up dead <laughs> because she, you know, didn't go through what she promised to, a, you know, a general who's probably a little randy. So. Oh, love. It's not fun. <laughs> so why don't we take a listen to that? Okay, sounds good. I can see why she would want this played at a wedding. It's really, like, lovely, melodic, sort of sweet-sounding. Lilting. Lilting. Yeah, and you can walk to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it works very well for two instruments. It's gorgeous. Yeah. That always gives me goosebumps. The so lovely. swell in the music. It's nice. So, so this is an example of that sort of 
typical preconceived notion of what what the flute can do. These mm -hmm. are the limits of what the flute can do. It is a pretty instrument. It's gorgeous. Okay, so blow my mind and tell me that right. that's not true. Okay, so things start to change. What happens is the mechanism of the instrument, we get more keys. Mm. It responds easier to air. Yeah. So we're able to do changes, play a high note, play a low note very, very quickly. Whereas, you know, wood doesn't necessarily respond that well. So there's a lot of, um, I want to say, scientific improvements to the instrument that really allows the player to be a little bit more free. So what happens is the violin, for example, is years ahead of, of any wind instrument. If you think of the music of Paganini or the virtuosos of the Romantic era, I mean, they were tearing stuff up on their <laughs> instruments. And they were, they were rock stars. They were rock stars yeah. of the day, you know? And uh, flutists kind of weren't. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of took a while for music for the flute to be written in that style. So what do we do? We steal it from other people. <laughs> right? Sure. Um, so actually, there was a kind of a very ballsy uh, flutist who decided that he was going to transcribe a set of pieces that Paganini wrote called the 24 Caprices, Opus 1. And a caprice is really sort of like a, a fleeting thought, an impromptu. Okay. A short piece that's highly virtuosic, that's supposed to sound like, as if you just made it up on the spot. Like it's capricious. Exactly. Yeah, okay. A caprice, capricious, it's sort of like, okay, I'm just going to do something, pick up whatever, and I'm yeah. just jamming. Right. Okay? But in that, the music is extremely difficult, but it's supposed to sound easy. Okay. Now, um, I went to the Eastman School of Music, and my teacher there, Bonita Boyd, Gosh, she, she's truly a badass. I mean, this woman can do anything. <laughs> she's a legend. I mean, she, she, she's, she's pretty special. Um, was Cosmopolitan Woman of the Year. Um, just really? yeah, Yeah, in oh addition to just being like a ridiculous, ridiculous musician. When I was there, she recorded 24 Caprices for the flute. And I was able to sit in the sound booth no. and listen to her play these over and over again. And I have to say, my jaw dropped. I'm saying, I, my God. It's, it's, it's superhuman, you know? It's just one of those yeah. experiences I'll never, never forget. And so we're going to be listening to one of those caprices that kind of takes a flute to a different level. And you're going to hear a type of virtuosity that we didn't hear in the Carmen. We're going to hear lots of fast notes. We're going to hear a technique called double-tonguing. Now, how flutists separate each note, if you think about the air, you just blow consistently. You need to chop it. Mm -hmm. And the way we chop each note is by adding a syllable T or a K to how we mm -hmm. produce a sound. So we would go T, 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 K, 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 as we are blowing. And that's how we separate each note. Okay. You're going to hear how quickly she does this and how every note is kind of in its own place amid this incredible flourish of, of virtuosity. I think you're going to enjoy it. shit right <laughs> it's crazy so like, where does she breathe <laughs> so th this is benita boyd and while this was being recorded you were actually sitting in the sound booth i'm sitting in the sound booth this is and making notes okay. and being like i like this one i don't like this one you know you rock this one that that note didn't sound so great <laughs> so i'm like oh my god <laughs> you were reviewing it as it was being made. helping her <laughs> i like to think probably not really but <laughs> Okay, 
but seriously, when does she breathe? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure this was, you know, some of it was spliced together. Okay, okay. Uh, you'll hear a couple moments where she does. Because the music makes better sense with a breath. Mm-hmm. Remember that violinists don't have to stop. It, it ends in the same way that it began with, like, these beautiful flourishes. Mm. And actually, the whole CD is stunning. I mean, you go one by one just being completely astonished yeah. that the instrument has the ability to do this. And what she's doing is highly unusual. I, I want to say not not every flutist can do what she is able to do. Mm-hmm. But it is possible. Cool, right? Yeah, super cool. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to move a little bit um, in time. All right. And experience uh, go to France actually. We uh, uh, the Paris Conservatory loved it, loved the flute, loved the sensuality of the flute. Um, so there was a lot of teachers at the Paris Conservatory that wrote their own music for their contests. And out of that tradition, uh, which is you know you'll have pieces that are slow and fast, theme and variations, kind of showoffy, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. pretty and then cute. Not a lot of substance, though. Okay. You know, just just the kind of stuff that you can put in the background and sort of wallow in, but not really pay a so lot of attention. So basically like the Taylor Swift of the day. Kind of. I would say that. But, of course, somebody is going to get mad at me for saying that. But <laughs> I, 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 Taylor Swift, all right. Yeah. She's just sort of, you know, she's poppy. She's, she yeah. is what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, things change with a composer. His name is André Jolivet. Most people will never have heard of André Jolivet. Mm-hmm. Not like we think of Ravel, Debussy, Foray, those French composers. Because he wrote for a different type of instrument set. Um, he loved the flute. Now, he did something a little different. He, um, he really expanded the avant-garde French sound mm-hmm. with interesting scales. And by scale, I mean a collection of sounds. When you think of a, like a scale that we, that we sing, like... Um, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, yeah. right? It's a collection of pitches. Right. But it, they don't all have to be those pitches. We can sort of mess around with them and change one, make it a little higher, a little lower, and come up with a, a completely different sound. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he did. And he was into giving back to music as ancient sort of um, gravitas, he uh, wanted to infuse it with religious beliefs and ritual and expression. And he wrote this ridiculous piece for, actually it was originally written for flute, harp, and string quartet called Chant de Linos. Hmm. Translates to Song of Linus. Linus was the son of Apollo, um, musician, a poet who died very young. And the Chant of Linos, the Song of Linos, is really like a funeral hmm. orgy. A funeral orgy. It is just absolutely <laughs> raucous. <laughs> Two words you don't expect to be juxtaposed. <laughs> but if, if you think, you know, one of, if you were in a very tribal, ancient situation where somebody dies and people are grieving, mm-hmm. uh, stages of grief, 
you know, includes also letting go of anger. Yeah. And that anger can be expressed through dance, can be expressed through um, just volume. And that's yeah. exactly what we have, what you have, we have here. So you're here in this music, you'll hear the f- flute cry. Mm-hmm. You'll hear the flute use a technique called flutter tonguing. We talked about using syllables like taka, taka to separate the notes. Well, if you roll your tongue using the R sound, mm-hmm. you can also play with that and get a kind of a fluttering effect. Um, you'll get a really interesting dance in an as, um, asymmetric meter, meaning not all beats have the same length. So it's going to feel a little gimpy. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not one, two, three, four. It's more like one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. So it feels oh like goodness. I don't really know where I, you know, Sounds fit jangly. in. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that sense of rhythm is really interesting. The pieces is really a rite of passage for flutists. It's one of these pieces that you work a lot during your life and then you're able to play it. And when you're done with it, it stays with you. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's sort of like, I consider it like your, your musician's bar mitzvah. You know, you go in, you do <laughs> your thing, you get through it, you sweat. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I went through this. But then later, it just, it, it, it stays with you. Is it So this would not be something that's like standard repertoire. This wouldn't be something that you would do at an audition. This is something mm-hmm. that you work toward. Correct. It's standard repertoire in terms of chamber music. Okay. But it's not standard repertoire in, in the orchestral world. You Got actually it. will not hear much of Jolivet's music in the orchestral world at all. You will yeah. hear some of his contemporaries, like Messien. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will hear some of that. Um, mm-hmm. Jolivet, I think, was a little bit more of a traditionalist. Um, so the piece, anyway, starts with with kind of like a, a, a scream, a, pain, a painful scream, followed by a lament, mm-hmm. um, a crazy cadenza, and then just a nasty dance. Yeah. And it's really, really fun to listen to. It, it kind of, you, you kind of groove to it. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it really, it's, it's really gritty. It has mm-hmm. a lot of grit. It has a lot of uh, chutzpah. <laughs> you have to have a lot of balls to play. <laughs> All right, let's hear this ballsy piece. at scale kind of like yeah. an interesting sound that doesn't sound like your Doremi Fasolati do yeah you can hear it here mm-hmm it sort of skips around yeah. a bit yeah 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 and the intervals and the space between the notes mm-hmm. is unpredictable yeah this is the lament here you'll, you'll hear that sonority that's so rich and ancient and exotic, yummy. Mm-hmm. Exotic is a good word for this piece. So this section ex- expresses a sadness, mm-hmm. a longing, 
an understanding that that person is no longer on earth. Mm -hmm. Maybe prayer, trying to connect to the beyond. This sounds like the musical score for um, modern dance. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, it really does. This whole section is in five beats to a bar. That's why it doesn't feel like you can actually grab onto when the beat, the main beat starts mm -hmm. and ends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very slippery. Yeah. It feels like one big, long musical phrase, uh -huh. like a run-on sentence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something to that that creates angst in you, mm -hmm. a craving for resolution. Yes, yeah. People say that's musical foreplay. <laughs> now we go a little crazy. You hear that flutter tongue in there? Yeah. Fun, right? We're going to return to the lamentation one more time before we get to a dance, and that dance is fantastic. Yeah, you hear the scale again, that sonority mm -hmm. that's unlike anything we've heard mm -hmm. before. It's like the musical phases of grief, almost. Exactly. You know? I mean, this feels very smoky, very mysterious. Yeah. As if we're preparing for a religious ritual. Mm -hmm. I love this flutist, Emmanuel Pau. Spent many years in uh, playing principal flute in the Berlinville. Cadenza there and accompanied. This serves as a transition to this crazy dance. And it goes on and on like that. 
that's wow. It's a workout. <laughs> it's a, I can see why. Yeah. I mean, God, it's just all over the place. Correct. Correct. It really challenges you because it's uh, the characters that you go through are crazy, uh-huh. um, and it really explores the, ex- the extremes of the instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, from honking low notes to screaming high notes to beautiful floaty melodies yeah. to this kind of thing that just doesn't let up. Yeah. Doesn't let up. And it, it does really feel like musical foreplay. Yeah. Because you feel like, okay, when is a resolution come? When do I get to rest? Yeah, when do I get to like, lie back melody? and have my cigarette? And you don't <laughs> have it. <laughs> wow. That is, that is really neat. You mentioned a word a couple of times, and I didn't ask you what it was. Um, cadenza. Ah, cadenza. Cadenzas are typically an unaccompanied part of say, a showcase that exhibit the instrumentalist virtuosity. Okay. So um, you'll hear that a lot in concertos, for example, where the orchestra ends in sort of in, in a moment of hesitation that, okay, we're not done, but there's no sound, nothing's happening. And then the solo instrument will start playing something that leads into, brings the orchestra back and usually ends. Mm-hmm. And so it, in that part where I mentioned that um, there was no accompaniment and it sounded all crazy. Yeah. You know, it has a feeling of a cadenza. It has a feeling that you're just sort of making stuff up as you go. Okay. And sort of like a... Like a guitar solo in a rock song. In a, like, in a, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Sort of like, you know, when the saxophonist goes nuts in a jazz band. Right. Or okay. the drummer is like, it's their part. And that, that's that improv, improvisation mm-hmm. equals to a cadenza. Now, a cadenza doesn't always have to be improvised. You can actually plan it out. Some people write it out. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, is to have that sort of free feeling. That you are not... Um, restrained by maybe rehearsal and what you've agreed to do that you can just okay if you decide to do something else whatever yeah and you can just go you can just be a little bit more in the moment i did not know that classical music had that this makes it sound effortless Wow. And the crowd goes wild. That's usually what happens. And that's when you want to like <laughs> throw your instrument across the stage. I mean, like, can somebody get me a freaking martini? <laughs> and I'm done. And I'm done. Give me a martini. <laughs> give me a cigarette. Somebody give me a hammock and get me up to the Bahamas. Because this is really a workout. Yeah. That's, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, isn't it fun to listen to? Really fun. Yeah. It's just, it, it constantly maintains your interest because it's changing so much. But there's sort of like a central glue that's that's like a core that's holding it together it's cool very cool all so, right let's so move where in the world do we go from there well okay so let's let's come back home okay <laughs> and see what's, what's happening here um you know george crime is an american composer um gosh he's written so much wonderful music what he does that i like so much is he he makes you forget what you're listening to you know, he takes the instruments and explores how sound is produced to create effects that's, that are just out of this world. One of my favorite pieces is Voice of the Whale. Um, and I love how he sets it up because it's written for three masked musicians. Masked, masked musicians? So you're supposed to wear a mask while you're playing this. So oh, he's wow. thinking a lot about theatricality. He does this a lot in his music. I once played a piece of his called Edel for the Misbegotten. It's for flute and percussion. And he specifies that it's supposed to be played um, 
next to a lake uh, on a, a moonlit evening in August. So he's <laughs> thinking about specific moods when he's writing this piece. Wow. Voice of the Whale. And remember, we talked about Jolie Bay, kind of this ancient, like he wants to bring that. Crumb does um, something very, very similar. And Voice of the Whale is kind of, it's structured very traditionally, has kind of an introduction and then a theme and variations. Introductions kind of sets the mood. A theme is, you know, what is going to give the piece grounding. And then he does little variations. Okay. What's cool is all three instruments, piano, cello, and flute, are amplified. They're electric. So you have to put oh. a microphone. Um, there's a specific setup that he wants. Um, there's specific lighting. It's just really supposed to create a mood. Now, the tune of Voice of the Whale was actually inspired by the sounds of, of, of the recorded sounds of, of a real whale. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when you hear this... That's a flute. It sounds like you can hear someone's voice slightly under it. What the what? Exactly, right? What is You got it right, by the way. It's singing and playing at the same time. Okay. So it's this idea that while you're blowing, you're producing sound with your throat as well. I see. And then when you produce the same pitch in your throat okay. that you are producing with the instrument, you have this this confluence of frequencies, uh-huh. of sound waves, that create these, this sort of really... The word... I mean, I, I keep on using this word exotic, but I can't think of anything else. I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's uh, very deserty, very mm-hmm. another world, very... Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It reminds me of, I don't know, uh, ancient Egyptian music or something. You know, that's, very, that's what I think too. Yeah, very Indiana Jones. <laughs> you actually don't have to sing and play the same pitch. You can actually sing and play sort of in 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 polyphony with yourself. Really? Yeah. Oh, here comes a piano. Piano is also what we call prepared. Uh, So hands go actually inside the piano to mute some strings, use paper clips. Here's really interesting things to change a timbre Uh that's actually produced by, you know, taking the hand and and sort of running across the strings. What, What is that sound in the background? That's the singer singing through the flute. Oh, that is through the flute as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh. Tell, uh, tell me, I, I can't remember if you mentioned this or not, but tell me when uh, George Crumb composed this. Um, I, he's still alive. He's he's still he's, alive. He's still okay. alive, and I believe this was uh, 1971. Okay. So, four years before I was born. <laughs> um, but it has a very modern sound. Yeah. 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 Cool, huh? Very cool. Anyway, um, it's, it's great to listen to the whole piece because it will take you through just an incredible, incredible journey. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from George Crumb? Where I mean, <laughs> well, I mean seriously, where can you go from whale well, song? Well, there's, there's, there's more. There, okay. there's, there's always more. And so we're, we're going to go actually and listen to some music that's being written right now. Okay. And there's this dude, his name is Greg Patillo, who is actually a, a 
classically trained flutist. And he decided that that just, that wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. He's a little grungy guy, sort of, if you look at him, he might look a little scary. You might tell him to actually <laughs> shave, go take a bath. Uh, but he's actually a really great guy, really, really fun. And he decided that he, if if some people could sing and play, why couldn't he beatbox and play? Mm-hmm. So then he takes this sort of idea and brings it to the streets, you know, and sees what can I do with this? Mm. He started doing this on his own and he created a YouTube video that went insane. Really? Um, yeah, it was like Mario, he has a YouTube video, Mar- Mario Brothers, um, where he beatboxes while playing the flute. And it's, <laughs> it's really phenomenal. The Mario Brothers theme song? Exactly. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. you can Google it and you'll find it. It's phenomenal. And, um, you know, he, he's just having a good time. He just, mm-hmm. they, he's not thinking about career. He's just like, I just want to be like do beatbox flute. Why can't I? You can sing. Mm-hmm. Why why can I beatbox? So it's so biting, like the the sound. Yeah, he combines a lot of eccentric techniques. So yeah. he's mastered quite a few of them. He's mastered flutter tonguing. He's mastered singing and playing. And he's adding this additional sort of percussive mm-hmm. um, in between the notes while he's producing the sound. Yeah. So he actually has to plan it very strategically when he can do his uh, his beatbox sounds. Mm-hmm. So the melody keeps going. Right. Yeah. I can see that being interrupted. Yeah. <laughs> but he's learned how to do that so organically that yeah. it just fits. And it feels like you almost have a drum set there, or you mm-hmm. have a uh, percussion instrument, but you don't. Yeah. Just have a beatboxing flute dude. Correct. Yeah. Does he have a special name for the technique? Beatbox flute? <laughs> <laughs> Call it exactly what it is. I like it. This takes a lot of air, by the way. Yeah. I, bet. I actually had tried to do this. I felt miserably. <laughs> My ego was so hurt. And literally after a while, you start feeling like lightheaded. Yeah, well, beatboxing is hard. Correct. So imagine the flute also, you waste so much air. Yeah. You're not blowing directly into the instrument, you're blowing across. Okay. So time's out by these things that you're trying to do to get these sounds out. And you could possibly just, yeah. you know practice into just passing out and blacking out i know i you know i've tried beatboxing many times because i don't know why but um <laughs> because it's fun come beatboxing on beatboxing is awesome it's like the time i decided i was gonna try to uh, teach myself harmonica yeah i thought oh, it was gonna be easy I oh i did that too i was awful <laughs> it's so it was like, i felt like such a beginner i'm like what's wrong with me you know i've been studying music for how many years and i can't like master this metal thing that costs 20 bucks right and yeah cool that is very cool i really like that yeah very very far from carmen (laughs) very far (laughs) from this idea of flute as background wedding Uh music um this is this is the kind of music that really uh, fulfills musicians Mm -hmm. because it really pushes you to extremes Mm -hmm. it it really it's, it's it's something that you have to work at to be able to do yeah most people talk about you know the emotive part -hmm. of being an artist Mm -hmm. But in order to be able to do that, you need to have the goods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be able to do exactly exactly what you feel you want to do mm-hmm. and not be hindered by the natural tendencies of the physicalities of, of the instrument that you have. Mm-hmm. I imagine you've kind of got to close the gap between yourself and the instrument. 
you know, so that it's an extension of you. Correct. And and you, when you're going through school, gosh, you spend more time with violin with your instrument than with anything else. So you start naming them and come up with like cute little characteristics, <laughs> you know, painting stuff on them. What did you name yours? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have three instruments. Um, one of them is Sparky um, <laughs> because he's kind of fun and light and bright. And I use it a lot for, you know, whenever I have to put birdie and pretty stuff. Then I have an, um, uh, I was able to actually purchase a gold flute, which I love. Wow. Uh, he's a little pretentious. Uh-huh. Um, he's, he's a pretty boy. So mm-hmm. I name him Pierre because when I think of French people, I think like pinky up sort of, you know, yeah. and he's a little bit like that. Um, but my favorite is actually Actually, my piccolo. The piccolo is, you know, a little flute made out of wood, paced really high, an octave, like, above the flute. Yeah. And, and you get that really screeching high. His name is Hercules. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Because he has a little, little complex, but he's yeah. just, he's just loud. <laughs> he just wants to be noticed. But he has a kind of, a, you know, an inferiority complex. Yeah, He has sure. a little Napoleon Thank complex. You, yeah, I, at first I named him Napoleon, but it wasn't right. And then, like, it's like, Hercules, yeah, that's your name. Mm-hmm. He stuck mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> Well, um, this really has been eye-opening. I have never really even paid that much attention to the flute. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, I had that preconceived notion that it was just this lovely instrument. It's just, yeah, you think of Zamfir, the pan flute. Pan flute, yeah. exactly. You know, and... Yoga and, music, uh, right. meditation music. Exactly. Massage me, right by uh, feet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this was really really neat um i I really see the the evolution of where this instrument is gone joel thank you so much for coming on the show oh thanks for wanting to listen (laughs) (laughs) no this has been fantastic um everybody if you uh would like to hear a question that you have addressed on the classical classroom uh or you have a great idea for an episode please send me an email at dclay at classical917.org. If you want to know anything about what's on our episodes, please go to classical917.org backslash classroom. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.